0: Dave Hooker show a presentation of off the hook sports objective insight expertise top guest available on YouTube Apple Spotify and the off the hook sports app download now for free also available on off the hook I compute and obey now to Dave Hooker
1: All right, here we go, T. Martin days till the Vols play Virginia in Nashville, 15 days. And we've got a monstrous show lined up, a football Friday with Fred, according to our analytics. He is your favorite guest, so we'll visit with him. That should be a whole lot of fun. Also, Dion Sanders says fight, fight, fight. That's what he loves, and uh, that's the exact opposite what Josh Heupel loves. So we'll discuss biting a little bit as Dion's like, go get in there, get in there, beat some people up, even though it's your teammates, there has to be a happy medium. Again, Fred White will join us. We'll discuss bonding in preseason camp because this is the time that you do it because it's brutal, it's hot, and you probably don't want to be there at times. Also, the Johnny Manziel documentary, uh, I saw it, um, Caleb saw it, we might have different thoughts on that. Um, just real quickly, let's do Siskel and Eber. Thumbs up, thumbs down.
2: I'm actually thumbs up. I'm going to give it a thumbs up.
3: Okay,
1: fair enough. Uh, thumbs down. We'll explain why a little bit later. I and- thumbs
2: down Johnny Manziel as a person, so it's hard to make a good documentary on somebody with that, that has never really reformed themselves, put it that way.
1: This sounds familiar. Tennessee projected to win nine games by the FPI. So we'll get into that, too. Um, That's a big what the H for me. And it was last year, too, when Tennessee was uh, an eight and a half over under out of Vegas to win uh, nine or seven games. I thought was an easy selection at nine. I did think that they would win 10 last year. Very likely. So I wasn't stunned. I didn't. Didn't know that they would uh, beat Alabama necessarily, but I thought that they would somehow manage their way uh, to ten wins. But uh, nine and three is where the FPI has them. And of all the projections, where would you rank FPI, Caleb, in accuracy and what they do?
2: So we're talking PFF, FPI, SP Plus. <laughs>
1: Well, and, and the AP and coaches poll. I mean, and
2: AP and coaches poll. I if we're going based on last year, you go SP plus. I would say if you like SP plus got it relatively right last year more than any other. But on an overall scale, I yeah, I'd still go SP plus. I'd go SP plus, which should encourage Tennessee fans.
1: No, it should. Uh, SP plus is like tennessee for quite some time four downs now is brought to you by our friends at zen sports and we're taking a look at the top true freshmen that are entering tennessee's program and what kind of impact they can have let's go four downs
0: four questions Four answers. The Dave Hooker Show. Four Four. bounds. A presentation of Off The Sports.com.
3: I got
1: some new insight on one of these cats, by the way, Caleb. Like from oh, someone within the program. Yeah, like like really good stuff. So I can I can add to this. So this column up and it is by Caleb Calhoun on Off The Hook Sports.com. The five Freshman most likely to make an impact in 2023, and it's brought to you by Zen Sports, the new sports book in Tennessee, revolutionizing the way you earn sports betting rewards. That means no more deposit bonuses that turn into deposit nightmares on Zen Sports. What you see is what you get with their cash rewards program. You get a lot of cash, like Nico, who will talk about for a welcome bonus. Earn an unlimited five percent cash back on your betting volume for your first 15 days when you sign up with the code hooked. Hooked. That's right, unlimited five percent cash back keep betting keep earning with up to three percent cash back on your betting volume every month after that refer friends to earn a percentage of their betting volume it's cash rewards too. zen sports bringing the cash back to tennessee so if you bet on sports you want to be betting on zen sports zen sports betting just got better hey cooper mays what down is it sir Cooper, here first down thank you i appreciate that and what should people do cooper mays here hit like and subscribe Perfect. First guy up to bat number five, as rated by Caleb Calhoun, is Nico
3: Iaialeava.
1: Ia he is the projected backup, and I think that Joe Milton's going to be the guy as long as he's healthy. But you've got him at number five. Why is that, Caleb Calhoun? Well, Joe
2: Milton's already got hurt once since he's been at Tennessee. Actually, he's gotten hurt twice since he's been at Tennessee. True. Combine that with questions about – there's still persisting questions about his ability to hold the starting job for the whole year and the massive amount of hype behind Nico Iamaliava. I think all of these things makes it likely Iamaliava is going to play at least a few drives that are meaningful this year. Now, I don't know if that's because Joe Milton gets hurt or something like that, but I could see Milton getting – Look, they're going to have to use Milton a little more in the running game than they used Hendon Hooker last year, and that's kind of a little disturbing for Tennessee because Hooker was actually, I think you agree, was probably a. Even though Milton's bigger, Hooker was a more fluid runner than Joe. No question.
1: No, no question. And I was watching a couple of runs. I guess it was because of this morning that it's T Martin Day. Fifteen days until the balls kick it off, but definitely when T got up and going, he was fast, and I think Joe Milton's going to be the same way. But there was sort of, uh, you know, he wanted to stay in the pocket. I think Joe Milton wants to stay in a pocket. When I was watching T, I was trying to place him somewhere on the um, hooker-Milton scale. And I thought he was closer to hooker as a fluid runner, but not as fluid as hooker. And there was a little bit of that stiff hips because he's used to being a quarterback and not an air quotes athlete, um, out on the field. So yeah, I think that, uh, I think Joe Milton will be a good runner, but it's going to be a different runner. And he's got a, he's got one thing that he's going to have to reconcile Caleb. And that is he's going to be able to put his shoulder down and punish people, but we all know you don't want your quarterback repeatedly putting his shoulder down and punishing people.
2: Right. Exactly. I mean, you need that shoulder,
1: (laughs) <laughs> when they're trying yes. to throw. Even if it's the left one and it gets injured, you need both shoulders because you need to be in the game.
2: Right. And so that leads, that 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 bolsters the point that Milton's likely to get banged up at some point. And we're not talking a Hooker freak accident ACL tear. I mean, that's always possible. But I think Milton is more likely to take a hit that sidelines him for a drive or two. And so I think you're going to have some games where Iamaliyava is going to come in, and have a couple of meaningful drives, and that alone puts them on this list. Because, I, funny enough, I talked about this on the column, Tennessee loses a lot of production. They also had a top-10 recruiting class, and they weren't where they needed to be talent-wise yet. You would think that would lead to a lot of true freshmen starting, but I had a, kind of a hard time finding which true freshmen could have an impact this year.
1: Yep. Uh, this guy, Will. What's up, everybody? This is Jacob Warren. Well, that's Jacob Warren. Jake, what are you doing, man? Coop, put down? Cooper Mays here
0: second
1: now now it's your turn Jacob you can go ahead and tell people what to do we'll we'll work you in there what's up everybody this is Jacob Warren (laughs) asking you to like subscribe and share Dave needs this he does everybody's on the program on a Friday Ethan Davis will have an impact I was told to somebody within the program though that all of the talk of him being further along and being a major major impact player is a little premature they really like what they've seen out of McAllen castles he's physical probably faster than he gets credit for really smart has absorbed the offense. So maybe a week ago when Ethan Davis was talking in front of the media and was mature and has, has been better than most people thought. I think a lot of people, especially recruit got excited about the four-star tight end who reminds some people of Antonio Gates, uh, the, the, the former chargers tight end who was a basketball player and had made that transition. That's, kind of like Davis, but this is going to be McAllen Castle's year as the second tight end. That still doesn't mean that Ethan Davis won't make some plays, and it doesn't mean that Tennessee can't be very good with Ethan Davis next year, but he'll have an impact this year, no question.
2: Yeah, I think so too, and I think there's – Ethan Davis – ethan davis there's a lot of elements you can use with him in the passing game that doesn't apply to a lot of other tight ends now i would say jacob warren is a more complete tight end because you can trust jacob warren to line it up and block if you need to which is a i i have to bring this up a lot guys newsflash blocking is still a part of playing tight end it's as much a part of playing tight end as being a receiver so it's why i don't have antonio gates in like my top five list of tight ends of all time because he was a liability
1: and block well, block. and he chose not to. He had the size and the ability. I mean, that's the frustrating part about Gates is that, you know, I didn't think that Jason Witten really had the, the the fantastic ability to be a great blocker, but he shielded at least. I thought that Gates a lot of times just thought it was like a, a speed bump. He didn't really want to do it. He just wanted to get over it. Um, let's go to third down. Coop. Cooper Mays here. Second down.
2: Khalifa Key. Second down. Wait, this is not oh. the Colorado drive. This is, this is not this Colorado, here. Missouri, 1990.
1: Tennessee center, Cooper Mays here. Third down. Keeping me straight, Caleb Calhoun. Khalifa Keith. Speaking of alliteration, Caleb Calhoun, Keith, Khalifa Keith.
2: Uh, first name is John, though. But, uh, John
1: Jacob Schengel-Harmerschmidt.
2: All right. I got just a quick funny story. My younger brother's name is John Jacob Calhoun, and his name is my name, too. All right. That's sorry. <laughs> Hi,
0: Khalifa um, Keith.
2: Okay, so – Khalifa Keith, there's no true goal line back this year outside of Khalifa Khalifa Keith. Princeton Fant held that role last year because Lynette Whitehead got hurt. Fant is gone. Whitehead has transferred. Who else you got other than Khalifa Keith? So I think Khalifa Keith is going to be the, when it's it's third and one on the goal line, when Josh Heupel last year, which give him credit for this, Dave, Josh Heupel was willing to line up under center last year on those goal line plays and pounded in. I mean, that was old school Philip Fulmer on the goal line. And he did that with Princeton fan a lot. He's going to do that with Khalifa Keith a lot this year. That's why he's going to have an impact.
1: Give me a good number 15 Jersey. Give me a good Um, number. Who is number 15?
2: Oh, Jawan Jennings. Okay, Jawan Jennings.
1: Jennings. I'm going to call myself self out. Nobody did on the message board, but I know that T. Martin wore 17. I, I'm sorry. I'm trying to write a book about the guy, and its uh, it's been a crazy thing. I misspoke earlier. It's not T. Martin Day. It is Jawan Jennings Day. Travis says that Keith is going to be another Travis Henry. I'm, I'm not completely sure about that, no. and I don't think they need him to be that, Travis. I think that's a little strong.
2: Travis Henry – Was like we always forget this because Henry was such like a was such a bowling ball when he took carries. He had speed too. He actually had solid breakaway speed. If you got Travis Henry in the secondary, you could trust him to outrun a lot of defensive backs. And
1: you can't really trust Khalifa
2: Keith to do that.
1: Now, I mean, we forget Travis Travis, Henry was a. Travis just didn't have a little. He didn't have the wiggle. That's what What he didn't have. I mean, aside from that, he was. he was everything that Jamal Lewis was except for the wiggle. But with the wiggle, Jamal Lewis, like you're suddenly grasping air. Whereas if if you don't grasp air and you go after him, you might get trucked. Henry didn't have the wiggle, but Henry was fast. I don't think they're gonna ask Khalifa Keith to do those sort of things. And Travis Henry, too. Let's let's remember this. In today's football. There's only, what, one elite back, maybe two in the NFL that get the majority of the carries for their team. Short of that, there's, like, the next level down of very good backs. Travis Henry in the NFL was kind of that next level down of very, very good backs. So if Khalifa Keith is half as good as Travis Henry, then the ball has got an absolute steal, right?
2: Oh, yeah, and Henry was a Pro Bowler in the NFL. We forget that. He um, he made a Pro Bowl with Buffalo, I remember – I know this as a Titans fan. Travis Henry was there, Vince Young's rookie year, and that was a heck of a rushing offense, Vince Young and Travis Henry together. And then there was Vince Young and Chris Johnson two years later, which was even more fun.
1: Nope, no doubt about it. And let's get to uh, – what, what down are we on there, Coop? All SEC center, Cooper Mays here. fourth out. Gotcha, brother. And uh, get well soon. We want that to happen. So we got the final two guys, Jordan Matthews and Arian Carter both on defense. So I'll ask you this question of those freshmen. I think you clearly believe, because you have them rated two and one, that those two will have the biggest impact. I wouldn't argue with your list at all, except that I think that Keith's impact is easier because the position he would play would be a little bit easier. So I might him have him at two. Jordan Matthews, I really like at corner. But I will tell you this, the the freshman, if you wanted to do one and then like a big space in the copy of the story you wrote, you could do that. Because it's it's Arian Carter and then it's everybody else based off freshman and what I've been told.
2: Yeah, Arian Carter is a clear cut. Number one, it's very clear he's going to be in the rotation this year. The expectations for him and the hype is through the roof. So that's the only one of these lists that's not a projection at this point. That's a, no, I know he's going to really start. He's going to effectively start. He may not be technically a starter in the depth chart, but he's going to effectively start because as you know, Dave, Josh Heupel and Tim Banks run three linebackers in a rotation, even if they have two on the field at the same time. They did that last year with Juwan Mitchell, Jeremy Banks, and Aaron Beasley.
1: Yep. I mean, let's put it this way. If we weren't crazy covering fall camp and if players were more available – this would be the time to roll out the Arian Carter feature story. That would be what's coming out in Sunday's paper, the old way of playing that, because there is no question, no question he's going to be a factor. David said, love this show. Put that up. We appreciate that. Hit the like and subscribe button if you haven't to this point. And what freshman are you most excited about seeing um, this upcoming season? Maybe it is. Uh, Nico some people still want to see Nico but the guy that you're going to be most likely to be most excited about in at the end of November is Arian Carter and Stunt Close
2: I haven't seen freshman hype for expectations for this year for the year there are freshmen I'm going to say since Eric Berry I'm just going to be honest I'm going to go there I'm not saying Arian Carter the next Eric Berry but I think Who's a player between Arian Carter and Eric Berry that's a true freshman at Tennessee that you expected to have an impact as a true freshman?
1: I thought the hype was stupid crazy. I'm not agreeing with it, but I thought it was stupid crazy on the McKenzie kid, Khalil McKenzie.
2: Oh, yeah. See, I didn't have Khalil projected to start, though, because there was still Danny O'Brien on that team and Shy Tuttle. And
1: and it's defensive tackle, where you usually don't come in and start. I, I mean, I agree with you, but as far as the chatter, I thought the chatter was as strong as Barry. Maybe Butch
2: Jones was trying to create chatter as strong as Barry. That that could be what that was. Um, So I.
1: Well, there's there's a lot of truth.
2: I don't know. I remember. All I remember. um, I was actually at the beacon at the time. And I remember covering the Tennessee opener against Cal. And I'll never forget you. I didn't know you at the time, Dave. But me and you were probably in the same huddle. And I will never forget. Everybody was questioning. Why are you starting? I think it was Rashawn Fellows. Or no, or was it Gerard Parrish? But one of those was starting over Eric Berry. I'm Barry Brian in the Fellows.
1: Do you remember that from Saturday Night Live? I'm Brian Fellows. I do not. Dave you don't remember crazy Tracy
2: crazy. Morgan's bit? That's crazy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. All I'm saying is you were probably in that group, Dave, questioning why are you not starting Eric Berry against Cal? Because it seemed like I wasn't dialed into practices like the other reporters were at the time, but it seemed very clear that Barry was the best player in the in the secondary immediately the second he stepped onto campus. Did he not start against Cal? No. I think it was Gerard Parrish that they started against Cal. And it was like one of the it's it's viewed as it was a typical former he's a freshman not ready. And then like and then at halftime I think they put Eric Barry in <laughs>
1: against Cal. It's like I right, we're done. After didn't they give up uh, was it the end of round to Deshaun Jackson that they gave up? Maybe and they, they gave him a punt return back.
2: for a touchdown.
1: Was it the they, punt oh,
2: Yeah, when Jeff T- Tedford basically told Deshaun Jackson, I will never forget this, he said, Tennessee's defense over-pursues on every play. So just hesitate. <laughs>
1: right. Um, I had some four-down questions, too, that I was going to run through. But I'm just going to go to one since we've discussed most of them. What's the best season for – nico
3: Ia male, ava.
1: Ia male ava personally as a person, as a player, it's probably not to get thrown out there. I mean, the worst would be Joe Milton gets hurt the day before the Florida game, and you're out there in Gainesville, and that's your first start, so that'd be the worst to me, um, what's the best for him personally? is it to sit the whole time? is it I think it would be probably to play a couple of meaningful drives, but still, you you know, you talk about meaningful drives. What's a meaningful drive is a second quarter drive against Austin P a meaningful drive. Uh, Certainly a second quarter drive against most any Tennessee opponent would be, you would think that if things are going well, they might throw him in there against Vanderbilt to get a quote, meaningful drive, but meaningful drive is truly the game is on the line. So I mean it would be nice if he got that and I'm sure he would like that, but that would mean that uh, Tennessee's not doing so great. It would be best for him personally. What would be best for him personally?
2: Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think meaningful drive. I just don't know how you do that, but without Joe Milton getting hurt, but I think Milton is going to get hurt a couple of times. This isn't if you remember Chris leak and Tim Tebow at Florida, Tebow came in on meaningful plays at Florida the year that Chris Leak was the starter, but that was different because Tebow was such a change of pace from, from Chris Leak that it was hard to figure out. And only John Chavis, John Chavis was the only person in the world that didn't have any idea that Tebow was going to run the ball on fourth and one when he came in for a change of pace. (laughs) But I I think there's not really a change of pace from Nico to Joe or from Joe to Nico. So I think you don't hope for Joe to get hurt, obviously, but I think if you're for Nico, he does need to play a meaningful drive, but that's only happening if Joe loses his starting job or if Joe gets hurt. And neither of those things you root for to happen. So
1: I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I think there would be a change of pace. I think Nico's a more fluid runner. I I think that you're talking about T Martin compared to Tony Robinson as far as fluidity and running style. So I, I do think he would more naturally escape the pocket. It's not worlds different, but I think it's significant tennessee is going to go nine and three according to the fp fpi yes fpi not fbi <laughs> yes, FBI or some other acronym here we go
0: what the what was he thinking release the hounds. the dave hooker show k- 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 keep cool a presentation of off the hook sports.com.
1: We like the FPI, don't we? We think it's pretty accurate. Yes, we do. With Caleb Calhoun, I'm Dave Hooker. What the H? Brought to you by Andy Mason, AndyMasonRealEstate.com. Tennessee at 87.5% odds to win in Nashville against the Cavs. Austin P at home 98.4%. How about Florida? This one is a bit surprising. And it's brought to you by Andy Mason. Andy Mason, com. Best prices and service in the biz. Andy Mason, Andy Mason, com. He's got my real estate biz. He should have yours right there in East Tennessee. 40 years of experience in that market. He's awesome. Tennessee, according to the FBI, is an underdog against Florida. 48.9% chance to win. That's technically an underdog.
2: Yes. That is well, Vegas
1: had Tennessee as an underdog. One and a
2: half points. I try to think about this in the past, and I'm looking back through history. I don't know if Tennessee, as long as I've been covering and as long as you've been covering, I can't remember a time that Tennessee was ever favored against Florida in the swamp, maybe 2017. That would be the only time I can think of that they were fav- that they may have been favored against Florida in the swamp. And I'm looking at it now. Somebody else, if you look it up before me, let me know. But I don't know who was favored in the swamp in 2017. That's kind of the, the, the big question. But outside by of that, that, yeah.
1: By the way, SC Scout guy. So we'll get a viewpoint from outside of uh, Tennessee. He, he likes the Gamecocks and who can blame him? The, rising we would think under Shane Beamer says honestly everyone I talk to that is not a ball fan thinks nine and three is about right I don't hate nine and three I just if I had to bet 10 or eight I would take 10 um so but here we go I mean it gets started right now that they are underdogs according to the FPI um 48.9% 48.9% chance of beating Florida. UTSA, 86.9% chance I thought was a little bit high. South Carolina, 77.9% chance. SC Scout guy, sorry about that, but I'm not surprised. AM a little bit closer, 66% chance of beating the Aggies at home. This one is one of the more stunning ones. Alabama just a 15.2% chance of beating the Tide in Tuscaloosa after winning a year ago. What? I mean that seems that seems very low to me. I mean I was going to think maybe 25%, 30%, but 15% chance particularly when Alabama should be worse this year,
2: based on FBI, FBI, listen to me, FPI uh, data points and the way they do this, Alabama should be considered a little bit, actually significantly worse this year than they were last year. And so that kind of throws me off. And don't Don't forget this two years ago, Tennessee was within one score of Alabama in the fourth quarter. And that was when Tennessee was still rebuilding under Josh Heupel. So yeah, this one's kind of a little shocking. And, I'll also say this one of Nick Saban's biggest weaknesses, Dave, if you looked at throughout his history as a defensive coach is what he does his first time facing a quarterback that he's never faced before that. And, and this is going to be his first time facing Joe Milton or Nico Iamaliana. <laughs>
1: Here's the other thing. As he goes, as he kind of goes a little bit more ball control Saban does, I always thought the one knock on him was that he would take the air out of the ball sit on the ball a little bit in the second half. And it almost crept up and cost him, especially against Lane Kiffin in 2009. Then he went to the up-tempo with Lane Kiffin, and that wasn't the case. It was Alabama up by 28 or 30 in the second half. So they didn't do that as much. But I thought there were times they had a 10, 14, 17-point lead, and they kind of sat on it. Does he go back to that thinking? If he does, I think that's good for Tennessee in any up-tempo offense. But... 15% 15% that's crazy Kentucky 53% chance of winning that's in the Commonwealth too high too low to you Caleb
2: I think it's just right I think it's exactly where it should be I think it's close to a coin flip and this is where yeah no I, I think I think Kentucky is so much more dangerous than we realize because it's on the road because Kentucky's coming off a buy because Kentucky has a better quarterback than last year I don't care what anybody says about Will Levis I don't care what Mel Kiper says Devin Leary is better than Will Levis and because they have a better offensive coordinator
0: this yep. year.
1: UConn 96% chance of winning Tracy Morgan. What does that say about the Huskies? You suck. Yep. Pretty mcgavis. much. Yeah, pretty much. Wasn't that um, the guy, wait, Tracy Morgan didn't say that. No, that was happy. No, yeah.
0: By the way, suck. greatest Yeah,
2: shooter. McGavin is the greatest movie choke job of all time in sports. Blew a four-stroke lead on the, with, on the final six holes when That's Happy true. Gilmore had a broken shoulder.
1: That's true. That's true. <laughs> he really <laughs> dropped the ball. And most people would withdraw, but his grandmother's house was on the line, so he had to keep playing. Um, you know, it's funny. Back in the day, Randy Edsel used to listen to my show on uh, Facebook when we would broadcast on a local radio station and Facebook. I don't know if he's listening or not. Is he the head coach of UConn once again?
2: No, Jim Morrow Jr. is and is already kind of doing a good job rebuilding him. They were 6-6 six and six last year.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, you're not going to beat Tennessee. Uh, but, no. uh, Missouri is 60, sorry, Missouri 63% chance uh, that Tennessee beats the Tigers. Now, this is going to be a revenge game for the Tigers. They're fired up and uh, they got embarrassed last year. Maybe the score run up, but I tell you, Caleb, um, I just don't – it's it's a match of two guys who do similar things in terms of being offensive coaches, and I think one's a lot better at it, and I think Josh Heupel will win this and uh, win it easily. So I, I guess 66% uh, chance is about right.
2: Tennessee has crossed the 60-point threshold two years in a row against Missouri. They did it in 2021, which to me was Josh Heupel's coming out party to reveal that was the first game that kind of revealed Tennessee may have something special with Heupel when they beat Missouri 63 to 28, and then last year 66 to 24. Missouri, I think, will be better this year. The games at Missouri, and don't forget, they were in the game with Tennessee. It was 28 to 24 at one point last last year before Tennessee went off, but I, I don't think that's happening again.
1: Georgia and Nealon, the Vols have a twenty-five percent chance of winning. I don't understand how you can have less of a chance to, to beat. I don't understand how Alabama can be fifteen percent, twenty-five percent, but that's how that's what the numbers say. Vanderbilt at home, an eighty-eight percent chance of Tennessee winning. So you would think they would do that. They've got the final record at nine and three we are going to hopefully be joined by fred white next so stay tuned hit that like and subscribe button and the big thing is turn the notifications on got a couple of ball reports with jacob warren that we're going to drop this afternoon he is caleb calhoun i'm dave hooker we're off and running and it feels like football season we want you to be a part tell a friend notifications on guys two minutes off the hook sports Our family has been creating one-of-a-kind pieces of jewelry in West Knoxville since 1986. Each piece is a combination of unique processes that bring your idea to life. Every day in our shop, a truly special item with a story all its own is being manufactured in our facility, bringing the history and family sentiment into a whole new generation of life. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler, a title that we value and respect. Because to me, being a jeweler and owning a jewelry store are not the same thing. I'm Rick Terry, I'm a jeweler, and we wanna be your jeweler. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater.
0: Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. far better than moonshine, a drink that holds flavor that becomes necessity, a hard cider made and relished by folk who are as hearty as they are legend, a refreshment that can only be found in one place, with a taste that makes you say, give me three bottles of the good stuff, Tennessee Cider Company, where necessity can be found. Who's this guy? Hello, Wizard! The Dave Hooker Show. Who? A presentation of Off the Hook Sports. What? YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and the free Off the Hook Sports app. Back to Dave Hooker.
1: Say something insightful for a moment, Caleb.
2: Taylor Swift has released the cover for Taylor's version of the 1989 album, guys. Who's excited about that? i know davis not me
1: (laughs) checking in on fred white so hopefully he'll be able to join us here momentarily as i know fred has a lot going on but we'll connect with him and guess who we're going to talk to next week i will go ahead and provide a hint he played defensive end he had a great career in the nfl his team is often spelled by its fans. Team name.
2: His professional team, you mean?
1: Professional. Yeah, they don't go V-O-L-S, Vols, Falls. Vols. Falls, falls. Which, that's not the worst chant I'm in the world. I'm pretty sure
2: I know who you're talking about. Um, who is that? It is Sean Ellis.
1: Yes, it rhymes with Ron Dellis. Uh, but there'll be a couple of Jacob Warrens up there, too. And Fred and I had a chance on the Celebrate 98 series brought to you by Tennessee Cider Company. TNCiderCompany.com. Use the promo code HAT, and you will get a some free swag with any purchase. So you can purchase their cider just about any place in the United States of America. We did kind of a Hall of Fame and who's the toughest, who was the hardest worker, the most competitive. But you couldn't pick Al Wilson. So you could not pick Al Wilson and Fred couldn't pick himself to take him out of that equation. So that's what we did. It was uh, it was pretty cool and we enjoyed it. That is up on the YouTube page now. So subscribe, like and turn those notifications on. And Rocky Top Tom says, I'd rather listen to Chinese opera than Taylor Swift. I'm going to back Caleb Calhoun. A very good friend of mine, actually, uh, Stacy Oliver, who just wrote her first couple of pieces for the website. She talked me into listening to the Karma song, and I'm gonna give kudos. That's pretty strong. I'm not saying that it's elite singer like a Conferno. Whitney Houston or Conferno. even a even a Christina Aguilera had a big voice or an Aretha Franklin. It's not that, but it's better than a Madonna or another female singer from back in the day. So I've been, I'm coming around. How about that? Are you stunned right now, Caleb?
2: Whenever anybody gives her a chance, they fall in love. I never accuse her of having the greatest voice either, either. but she's got the greatest songwriting ability of all time. She does. And does she write her own songs? Do you know? Oh yeah. She writes them all because she's a
1: genius. I don't think that you know that. I think you just said that.
2: Well, she has a writing credit on every one of her songs. so. Oh, she does?
1: Yeah. Is it
2: her and somebody else, though? Over the past few years, it's been her and somebody else. But her original first six albums was exclusively her.
1: Hmm. I didn't know for the longest time that uh, Elton John's uh, partner wrote most of his songs. And uh, by the way, I don't care if you think Elton John's cool or not. You go to one of his concerts in his prime, your mouth's going to drop wide open. We... Uh, he was he was actually playing at Thompson Bowling Arena. My wife had only been, me and my wife had only been dating for like three months. And we drive by and the guy goes, $50 a ticket. And I said, I've got $14. He goes, I'm not taking that. I need at least 50 for the both. And I said, I've got $14. I really, I'm a student. I've got, so he let us go in. We were on the 13th row center to see Elton John. Didn't even know he was playing at Thompson Bowling Arena before we saw that. And you talk about an incredible show elton john was unbelievable fighting are we tussling a little bit because it appears that's the case i'm your huckleberry let's get the what the h what the
0: Why was he thinking release the house the dave hooker show keep, 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 keep cool a presentation of offthehooksports.com all
1: right here's what deon sanders did and If you haven't seen the video or heard about it, it's kind of old school. And I feel like Deion Sanders tries too hard to be old school at times. I really don't know what I would do if he said, you have to call me coach to address me, which he does. I don't, I've never called a guy that I've covered coach. He says, you got to call him, call me coach. You can't say Dion. I mean, I, I said, Philip, Josh, Wayne, Derek, Butch, I mean, I actually felt goofier about calling a guy Butch than coach. But um, so here's what happens. A tussle breaks out, which happens in preseason camp. And a book that's coming out, Celebrate 98, will discuss a huge monster ball before the 98 season that a lot of the players believe galvanized that team because the offense was getting pushed around by one of the best defenses in Tennessee football history. So fights happen, and a lot of times they're good. For the record, Josh Heupel does not believe in fighting in practice. That is not allowed. And I think each coach is a little bit different. Probably the younger you are, the less likely you like fighting. The older you are, you're okay with it. So Deion Sanders is okay with it and actually encouraged his players to fight, saying that you're not standing up for your teammates. So let's turn it to Tennessee. Should the balls be fighting or should they walk away from a fight or is there a happy medium? I've been around practice and a lot of fights, um, well over a dozen. And I've covered probably a thousand practices. So it's not unusual. It's always just been part of it. I think if Caleb and I, if, if we had to go outside in the backyard and run into each other, Eighty times a day, for about twenty days during the month of August when it's hot, we would probably fight. So I think it's part of football. Caleb, um, your thoughts on fighting in a preseason camp?
2: Well, first I want to say it's really rich coming from Deion Sanders, who was notorious for avoiding contact when he yeah. played. Like that was his thing; he didn't even try to learn how to tackle. And so I think that's really rich coming from him. However. When it comes to fighting, I think it depends on how your team is built. And I do think it's a little old school in the sense, you know, when you played in the 90s, there was still the whole toughness wins out in football. And the 98 team was definitely built in that identity. We're just, we're we're tougher than anybody else. But if you are a, I don't like to use the term finesse, but I do think Tennessee is more of a execution oriented team now with Josh Heupel. I don't think fighting is as crucial because they're more focused on executing, not just out manning you in one-on-one matchups all the time. And so I think there's a little bit of a difference now. So I don't think it's a big deal that Josh Heupel doesn't like fighting. I mean, it reminds me of Peyton Manning in the NFL. Peyton Manning was obviously about more, more about ex- out-executing you. So he didn't like fighting in, in practice with his teams. He really didn't. And he even said one time, you know, you fight, you're going to get a 15-yard penalty and cost your team the game. And so it's not like it's not like the 90s, 80s, tough defensive minded teams that, you know, the Jimmy Johnson Hurricanes or the 90s Vols or anything like that, that you wanted to fight because you wanted to reestablish your dominance. Take it to basketball. The bad boy Pistons wanted to fight. They wanted to establish their dominance by fighting. The Bulls didn't want to do that because they had the star power, so they didn't really care.
1: But you can't back down either, which I think that that's what Deion Sanders was talking about. Travis asked, who would win a fight, Dave or Caleb? Uh, let's bring Fred White in, and we'll get uh, Fred's thoughts. Uh, <clears throat> Fred, who would win a fight between me and uh, CC Caleb Calhoun? Fred, who do you think would win a fight?
3: <laughs> well, I don't want y'all to fight, first of all. I don't condone violence. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, well Caleb you better run David grabs you might be over with disappear well
2: Dave is older than me but he's a workout warrior and he doesn't drink. That's two advantages <laughs> in his favor that like <laughs> you
1: know well I'll go ahead and tell you the answer to the question. it's the 30 second over under rule. If Caleb stretches it to over 30 seconds, I don't do cardio. So I'm gassed. And then Caleb could just, you know, bounce and move and tap me and tag me and wear me out. If I can get a lick in out of my first three swings, I'm gonna win.
3: <laughs> after that, yeah. you're going to tired. Also. But after that, <laughs> I'm gonna have
1: to lay down and take a nap and say, Caleb, you won. Oh my God. What do you- what do you think of fighting in practice? And, and you may have not heard us talking about this, but Deion Sanders chided his players for walking away from a fight in practice. What did you make of that?
3: Listen, one of the reasons why I knew we were going to be a really good team and we were tough was the, football, the fight. You guys, if you have not listened to Celebrate 98, you need to go check it out. We talk about big fights on there, and the one big fight we had before that ninety-eight season was an all out brawl, offense versus defense, and it was it was intense. But you also knew one thing. Every last person on your team was tough as nails. You knew that. I remember hearing Coach Former say one spring, I think he regretted this after the fact, but said, you know, you know what, guys? It has been one fight reported all spring. I don't understand what's going on. We used to know guys were tough because they would at least go out and have a fight. And right after that, we had about 10 of them. But, but it was pro- the problem was it was in the public with other people. Um, but it was, <laughs> <laughs> you told us to fight, coach. We fought. <laughs> I think he wanted to take that back as soon as possible. But he's right. If you don't, if your guys are walking away from stuff in practice, it's your teammates. You're not going to take it in the locker room or on the street afterwards. That's what you do. That's how you know whether your guys are going to fight or not in the game. Not, not just fish fighting in the game, but that's the toughness of it. And I, I get where he was coming from. I understand where he was coming from. And if people have never played the game, you wouldn't understand that. I mean, I've had fights from little league, high school, college, and pro. I've seen those fights. And we if, if you touch somebody on my squad on the defensive side, guess what we're going to do? We're going to scrap.
1: Yep. I know. That's,
3: how, that's the name of the
1: game. There's no way that you can run into each other 80 times a day, five days a week for a month and not want to get in a fight when it's 98 degrees. Uh, Robert says brothers fight, (laughs) period. They do. Here is, in my opinion, the difference. The generation is different. So Fred said the most wise thing way back in the Celebrate 98 series, and I've taken it to heart. Immediately when they walked off the field into the locker room, it was done. It was it. Nowadays, I don't know that this generation would have the maturity. I don't want to sound like the old guy. Get off my lawn. You I don't are know the they... old guy
2: right now.
1: I know. <laughs> I don't know that they would have the maturity to put it down, Fred, and let it go.
3: That's part of your culture in the locker room, though. Okay. You got to create that culture in your locker room. If you went into the locker room and brought something in the locker room, back in the day, guys like Tyrone Hines and Joey Kent would stop you immediately. Like, hey, man, we say that for the football field. And here we're family. On that football field, we're we going against each other. There's a difference. And they established that from the beginning. Bubba Miller and those guys, they weren't going to allow you to do that in the locker room. We are in fights in the locker room. Not a lot. I mean, because the older guys nip that in the bud real fast. But that's, that is a testament to what your leadership is like on your football team because your leadership on your team determines your culture of your team.
2: Fred, who was on y'all's team that – who was the Rocky on y'all's team, the guy that was really small and then there was a fight and you're like, wow, I did not know he could last that long in a fight. Because he just looks so tiny.
1: <laughs> he wasn't really small, but it was Fred would be the answer, bef- except for the well, small part.
3: I, I, I'll say this. It wasn't too many guys on our, our team that weren't that wouldn't scrap with you and didn't care how big you were. I mean, I've seen linemen go up against linebackers. Most linemen are bigger than linebackers. I've seen DBEs go up against receivers or, or DBs go up against tight ends or, you know, everything. I mean, it's – we didn't have – let me say it like this. I don't know about today's game. I can only speak and vouch for my group and my teammates. We had no punks on our team. Whoever you went up against is going to give you a battle. You didn't want to do that. I watched Tyrone Graham, who was probably one of the smallest DBs receiver on the squad, one of the fastest to ever come to Tennessee, fight with Sean Ellis on a daily basis. And Sean Ellis is 6'5", 285, 90 pounds. So there was no back down in none of our guys.
1: No. Nah. Tell me about – and Jimmy said uh, that we sound stupid, don't need players hurt and fighting. No, it's not that – it's not really that simple. Because in 98, Fred and Tennessee's defense is absolutely pushing around the ball's offense. They can't get anything done in spring, and then they're halfway through preseason camp, and they are just getting pumped. And uh, essentially, Philip Fulmer challenged the offense, the Spencer Riley mostly, and he's the one that started it by – uh, a, a waylay he laid on Al and you don't hit Al and not expect to get hit back and that really galvanized that team um, mm-hmm. it would be too strong to say you don't win a championship without that fight but it did mean an awful lot for us
3: it meant an awful lot it meant an awful lot hey, Jimmy you you man I don't know where you played the game in or what level you played it in and I'm not trying to go at you I'm just being honest I haven't had a good football team that I ever played on that we didn't have some fights period not one. The only team I, that was horrible was the two Lord 2000 San Diego Chargers went one to 15, and we fought damn near every day. <laughs> 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 only, lost more games in one season than i ever lost in my whole life. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you win any fights? I won every last one of my fights. <laughs> Keep I in mind. He had in, a in 1997, Leonard Little started the season with a with a cast on his hand, came from a fight, but he still had a stellar season, and was You, still a hit. Punk,
1: you remember right? who he hit?
3: I don't remember exactly who he hit, but I just know it was a big fight. It was a brawl there too. Wow. Uh, have you ever
1: lost a fight in preseason camp?
3: Dave, I ain't lost too many fights in my whole life. I didn't think so. <laughs> Fred, I was talking, and listen, I'm not trying to act like I'm Mike Tyson or them, but the difference between me and the next person is I'm willing to do a lot more than some people are willing to do to win. When it's <laughs> especially when it comes to a fight. heard of I have never heard of a fair fight. Not ever in my life. Yeah. My grandfather taught me that one. Yeah,
1: there's no there's no such thing as a fair fight. I mean, because if special. you're
3: putting your hands on me, that means you have intentions on hurting me. So I have intentions on hurting you at that point. What was it, uh,
2: Pirates of the Caribbean? Uh, I don't know if y'all saw the movie where Jack Sparrow and and, uh, Orlando Bloom's character, Orlando Bloom's like, in a fair fight, I'd kill you. And Jack Sparrow was like, well, that's not much incentive for me to fight fair
3: then, is it? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the word fight. I mean, unless you're in a boxing match and you got gloves on, there's rules, right? But if this is just a fight, sometimes there's not a rule to fighting. But the rule is different. It's a rule when you're fighting your teammates. You don't go below the belt. You don't try to hurt someone. It is really just getting – it's a mano-a-mano mano, macho type of thing, really. And it's finding out if your teammates are tough or not. If you, <laughs> when you first got to Tennessee, somebody was going to try you. And the guy who tried me when I first got here as a freshman was Chester Ford. And mm-hmm. Chester Ford is one of the strongest guys I ever played at UT. I mean, he's a fullback who will knock your head off i never forget him trying to scrap with me, but I knew one thing. I'm not scared of anybody. I'm going to make sure you understand I'm not scared of anybody. I may lose this battle, but I'm going to win the war because you got it. You got to see me the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. I gonna win one of them battles. All I need is one win. So you were okay. Fred's role let me give a little
1: bit of insight was oftentimes mentoring the freshmen. So how, when, when, when freshmen would be tested, be it, you know, Chester Ford fighting you or some other freshman? what was your role in terms of, I don't mind you testing this freshman, but don't take it too far. far. Where where was the line crossed? Where was, where was that
3: line? That was the one thing we never crossed that line. And usually, the the guy who tried you end up being your big brother. To this day, Manchester Ford are like, that's my dude. I I love that guy to death, and he loves me to death. He he'll, he'll bring it up sometimes. Man, I I had to try and see if you had any heart. You know what I mean? Like,
0: yeah.
3: and he realized I had heart, so he took me on his wing at that point, and was my been my big brother ever since. But that's that's how it works. I mean, you got to test the guy to see if you got in. You know, what kind of heart you got? You don't have any heart. I don't want you on my team anyway. I mean, you can still be on the team. I don't. I'm not a coach. I can't tell you to leave. But if you back down, guys are gonna know that you don't. You might back down in the game. You ain't gonna fight. All the guys who you knew had some toughness about them. You knew they're gonna be tough in the football game.
1: It's tough to get us all together sometimes because we're spread out uh, across the nation and off the hook sports, but. We are going to be in Dallas for SEC Media Day, so maybe Fred could come along. And as like a team building thing, he could just beat the hell out of Caleb.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I I got other ways of testing Caleb. I don't want to (laughs) fight. Well,
2: I'm the guy. I will say, y'all can younger generation shame me because I'm the guy. If I were on the practice field, I'm not fighting. But if you're fighting, it's going on the internet, and it's going on the internet because of me. I'm the guy who's I will make sure to appropriately film it from the right angle and World
3: Star is gonna get it. Hey so- <laughs> I, I don't fight no more unless I have to. If I'm fighting, that means my life depends upon it. That Dude, is the I only would, reason I'll be fighting. I anybody. wouldn't be
1: able to I wouldn't be able to move for five days.
3: You remember how I'm you just, used to get in
1: a you remember how you used to get in a fight, Fred, and the next day you're a conda sore? and especially you know? well I, I <laughs> um, I did. And I when you when I was 18, 19, I'd get in a fight. And the next day I was kind of sore and now
3: I wouldn't be able to walk. Well, Dave, I'm going to tell you the difference between me going to the gym and you going to the gym is two different things. I got two nephews who I need I need to make sure they understand that Uncle Fred is still the dude. So, if you ever try me, I'm going to make sure I can whoop you. That's why I go to the gym. I go to the gym just in case somebody tries me and I have to defend myself. I go do kickboxing because of that. I go do Muay Thai because of that. I need to make sure that if I ain't stronger than you, I got other things, other ways of beating you just in case I have to have a situation where I have to have hand-to-hand comeback. Plain and simple. Just for the
1: record, red <laughs> light goes to do chest day, lays down. What are you using? What, how much weight are you using for reps on chest?
3: Uh, it depends. We do, a, we do a different type of workout. We start out at 185, 185 for 20. 215 for 25 for 15, and I go 275 for 10, 315 for five, and I go back down to 225 and I do two sets of as many as you can do. The goal is to get 20.
1: Good gracious. I could do 185 maybe five times.
2: Fred, were you the, were you the, if I could do an analogy, were you the Steven Jackson on the balls? And for those who don't get the reference, when Ron Artest went into the stands in the greatest fight of all time, the Pacers-Pistons brawl, Steven <laughs> Jackson was like, I don't care who started it. My brother's in the stands, and I'm going to go beat up some fans. Was that you?
3: Without, unequivocally, <laughs> without a doubt. That's my yeah. teammate. That's my brother. He might be wrong, but I'm not going to let him go through that situation and get beat up. And that's my teammate. I'm gonna make sure I go up there to get him out of there. If I gotta fight my way to get him out of there, I'm gonna fight my way to get him out of there. If I gotta fight to get to him, I'm gonna do that too. But I will tell him he's wrong at the end of the day. But I, at the, but at the in, in the moment, I'm gonna make sure I save my teammate, plain and simple.
2: Well, Stephen Jackson didn't try to get him out of there. Stephen Jackson was like, "I want some punches in here too." <laughs>
3: I mean, I'm going to throw some. If, I, if it requires me throwing some punches, I would have done the same thing. That's my teammate. I'm going to make sure he's good. Now, if it, is it right or wrong? It may be wrong, but I'll guarantee you one thing. That's my guy. That's my teammate. I'm going with him. Same thing Dion is saying. If my teammate is fighting the DBs and they all jump in my guy, don't you run away from that. You better go over there and help him. Yeah. He needs to know you got his back. Plain and simple.
1: Fred, um, by the way, Rocky Top Tom says personal umbrella policies don't cover liability arising from fighting. But if they did, Fred would be the guy to call. How do yeah. we get in good hands, Fred? Mm-hmm.
3: Well, listen, you need another type of policy for that, by the way. <laughs> you, can, you can be in good hands if you give us a call at 770-381-0367. You can also look us up on every social media platform there is, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Fred White Allstate. And just as hard as I hit on the football field, we hit the same thing trying to get you a good quote. So nice. we try our best to make everything work for you guys. And I go fight for you just like I will go fight for my own teammates. Nice,
1: toughest fight you were ever in?
3: Toughest fight I was ever in? On the field, on the
1: field, or in practice?
3: On
1: the the field or in practice? Yeah, not not in some Uh, other uh,
3: situations. Yeah, no, those weren't tough anyway, Dave. But
1: (laughs) I'm just kidding. But um, I had a buddy exactly like Fred, like his size and his build. He wasn't nearly as fast. And I was always the smart aleck that would start a fight and he would finish it. I think that's why Fred and I have this, like, <laughs> we have this chemistry because I feel like I've known him since I was in high school because he reminds me of my buddy that would finish the fights. And smart aleck Dave might get knocked out, but I knew that this guy would finish it.
3: But if The you- toughest guy I went up against in practice, we didn't fight. It was, it was just the toughest guy I had to go up against. When we did the Tennessee drill, if anybody knows, it's like the old Oklahoma drill. It's the same thing. We just call it Tennessee drill. You take you a receiver yeah. and a DB, and you go up against each other. I got to beat the beat the beat the block to get to the running back that's running the ball behind him. The toughest guy I had to go up against was David Martin. David Martin ended up being a tight end in the NFL. He was a really big receiver at UT. And he was very strong too, but I had to go up against David Martin because I could. It was no other receiver that could. I could ragdoll anybody else. That's being honest. I don't care if it was Bobby Graham. I don't care if it's Peerless, Cedric. None of those guys could block me. The only guy that had a chance of blocking me was David Martin, and that was the best battle I would have when it comes to Tennessee drill. Now, the best fight I've ever had, the toughest fight I've ever had, was when I was playing in the XFL, and it was an offensive lineman from Auburn. Um, we got into a tussle in practice because he he hit me after the after the whistle. And we fought. I mean, it was it was a fist fight. And I just remember a few plays later, they ran a play, and I knew he was pulling. Well, I didn't know he was pulling until I actually read the play before the game, before the play started. And I knew he was pulling, and I beat him to the punch. And I hit a 320-pound dude in the the chest and knocked him flat. So, needless to say, I won the battle. He might have won. I won the war. He won the battle. Yeah
1: uh v- very true very true so uh let's change gears a little bit because i want to get your thoughts um as as the johnny Manziel documentary came out <laughs> uh, caleb and i've watched it have you seen it yet
3: i have it's amazing <laughs> yeah it's,
1: it's good the problem i had with it is that it was supposed to be what the truth or whatever. And then like only the last 10 minutes dealt with his issues. I thought that they could have gone a little bit deeper in that, but that's just me. But they talked about how Johnny Manziel changed the expectations at a and He changed the type of money that came into the program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally different dudes. But to me, that sounded a lot like what Peyton Manning did to Tennessee. Fair comparison.
3: we had some really good players before Peyton came and we've had some really good ones after Peyton came, but I think Peyton Manning's class changed UT in my opinion forever. That was the number one recruiting class. You got receivers that were the top receivers in the country that came here. Um, Marcus Nash, uh, Pills Price being one of the top guys, but this Peyton that he came in my class, the class after, but I think having Peyton Manning on campus changed a lot for UT. Um, you knew you had a guy who was going to be a great quarterback, he had done a lot of good things in his freshman year, and coming in as a recruit. Jamal Lewis talks about it all the time, too. He was like, man, his dad was like, Peyton is going to stay for another year? Hey, man, you need to go to Tennessee. You need to go to Tennessee because you got Payton Manning right in front of you. They're not going to be able to stack the box with Payton as your quarterback. It changes a lot of things. We got offensive linemen. Jarvis Rito was the number one offensive lineman in the country. He was a a super five or something like that in the country. He was the number one tackle in the country. came to Tennessee. That same class with painting those guys. Terry Fair came from Arizona. Um, You look at Andy McCullough. He was one of the top receivers. So was Greg Kyler. All these guys came to UT as some of the top players, that same class. I think that class is a class that changed Tennessee forever when it comes to, like, Get to the point of winning SEC championships and um, national championship. We don't win a national championship without some of those guys that were from that class. I mean, that's, you know, those guys are what kind of what started that that 95 class and that group that, that, that was already there. That group changed football at Tennessee forever, in my opinion. It made us tougher. They taught us how to win. And they gave us the culture. You came in as number one class, but you had to follow the rules of everybody else. We got rules in this locker room. We got leadership in this locker room. And you got to wait your turn to be a leader. And I think those things are what helped us get to the point of winning the national championship. But, yeah, Peyton Manning coming here, absolutely changed it.
1: So are you telling me that – sorry to interrupt, Caleb, but I want to get you in here. Are you telling me that Jamal Lewis probably doesn't come to Tennessee if Peyton Manning goes to the NFL in 97?
3: He's probably going to Nebraska.
1: Wow. Pretty darn insightful sense. right there. Mr. Calhoun?
3: Fred, you know, it's
2: funny you said one thing about you got to follow the same rules no matter what. Do you think that's something that may have derailed Manziel and Tech Kevin Sumlin at Texas A&M in the sense that it was very clear to me from the documentary. They said there's one set of rules for Johnny Manziel and then another set of rules for the rest of the team.
3: I think it was part of their downfall. I think it's one of the reasons why. Kevin Summer is no longer there. He's my cousin, too, by the way. But I <laughs> wow, did not know that. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's my cousin. My first <laughs> cousin? <laughs> no, he's like my third cousin. But gotcha. he's my cousin. Um, but, yeah, he's – I think that was part of the downfall as well because the guys that came behind him couldn't do those things. And even letting him do those things, I think, was part of the reason why he, de- he was derailed. You know what I mean? That makes – you let a guy do all those things as a freshman and a sophomore. Gets to the NFL and gets more money, man, you can put money in someone's hand, it's going to make them more what they already are. There was no coming back for him. After I saw that documentary, I realized and I was like, man, I remember having a conversation with someone who was a part of the Browns organization, and I had already heard some of the things about Johnny Manziel and his partying, and the first thing I told him was if you sign this guy, From what I've been based on what I've heard about him, you need to sign someone from his team. You need to draft another guy from his team to kind of help keep him in line because he's gonna need that. Of course, they didn't listen to me. And I'm I'm gonna um I'm gonna
1: make reference to a story you told me a long time ago. So if I've messed this up, let me know. But it was your senior year before the bowl game. You guys already had a national title in your pocket, and you're not really playing for a championship um, in against uh, Nebraska that year. Mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you guys decided to have a pop in the hotel lobby maybe, and and Philip Fulmer came up and said, I really can't do anything about it now, I don't guess.
3: <laughs> I knew all those guys were already gone. I know. So...
1: <laughs> I mean, do you recall that story because it was <laughs> there's a comparison in that you guys were established, you guys were superstars and at some point you outgrow you can't outgrow the discipline.
3: No. I think I think that we had never had an opportunity to celebrate New Year's. You know what I mean? Some guys were like, "Man, we're going to celebrate New Year's this year." Everybody they were leaving anyway. I mean, I was a senior. Some of the other guys were juniors, but they were already. They knew they were gone. Dion. you know, um, and like, we sat down and had us a drink. <laughs> what could they, what could they do? <laughs> like, it but, wasn't no rule that we couldn't have one, so we did. True. However,
1: from what you heard, even though you were gone and in the NFL, I thought Philip Fulmer let discipline slide a little bit. And then if you were a player player, I had one guy tell me, he said, my roommate got kicked out for having three, uh, failed drug tests for marijuana. I probably Mm -hmm. had 22, but this guy was a starter and a big time player.
3: I I don't, I don't know the answer to that one because I was not a guy who was, um, failing drug tests. Okay. That was something I was going to do. I was not going to fail a drug test and go home and, um, had to face my mom or embarrass my family, so I don't know who who failed or passed. The guys that I know that failed ended up not being at UT.
1: But was there, so, but was there well, what I'm asking is, did you hear of a mindset and a culture within the program that if you were a true playmaker, you could get away with stuff?
3: I didn't have that in my locker room that I know not of. Your locker, it was not your if, locker room, but if like if it was. If it was, I wouldn't have known about it because that was again that wasn't my culture and that wasn't the culture of my locker room that I knew of. And I, every every test that I took, I passed. And the guys who I know, that got kicked off for failing drug tests. Some good football players, some really good football players. And I don't want to name any names. They were superstars in their own right, and could have been big time guys. Um, so yeah, I, I know some guys who got kicked off that were great football players for failing drug tests. So I don't know that, you know, everybody's story is different and maybe he changed after us. I don't know. But I know that when I was in school, there was a few guys that got kicked out, of, kicked out of school and I don't want to say no names because I'm not trying to bring a negative light to them. However, if you go back and you look at some of the top players that got kicked out of the squad, you know exactly who I'm talking about. And those guys could have literally changed history at Tennessee. We could have possibly won more than one national championship with those guys being a part of the team.
1: By the way, everybody has to report uh, to the facility at 2 o'clock our off-the-hook sports uh, test. Uh, We've well, mm-hmm. we got a P-test coming up. So is I know I'm going to
3: pass. Caleb, <laughs> are you going to pass it?
2: Fred, can I borrow Never mind.
1: <laughs>
2: I know I'm going to pass. I guarantee you. I'm just going to say it is legal where I
3: live. So, you know.
1: Caleb is stoned as a bat right now.
3: Is this Tennessee? I didn't know it was legal in Tennessee. I don't live in Tennessee.
1: Yeah. Caleb's all out there. We got people in three states. Caleb, where are you? Caleb's up in in Maryland. I'm in the DMV. It
3: is legal in DMV. It is. (laughs) Yeah, All three, D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. It's legal in all three. I, I, I'm looking at this, uh, the chat over here on the side, and he says there was a tight end that would have been a pro bowler. Uh, and I definitely agree. Festamore. And he was one of the best athletes I've ever seen in my life, yep. still to this day. i never forget the first time I ever saw him catch a pass in seven on seven. And I watched the tight end, 240 pounds, split the, split the safeties. And I'm talking about safeties out. Uh, Ray Austin and Tori Noel, two guys who are really good football players and playing in the NFL. I watched this guy, 6'4", 240 pounds, catch a post route and split the savings and not run them to the touchdown. i never seen anything like that before. I've never seen a guy that big run that fast. He got kicked out of the squad. I'm not going to say why. You can go back and read those things for yourself. But he is one of the guys that was one of the best players I've ever seen. So if there was a double standard, he would have been a guy that you would have had a double standard for.
1: Uh, That's a good point. Yeah, he would have been – I'll go ahead and say it. It would have been – help me with this, Caleb. You know history. I think he would have been the best tight end in Tennessee football history. There weren't a lot of great ones. There really weren't as far as productive guys. He would have been a guy that you worked into the game plan, Fred. You made sure to get him the ball.
3: He was the first tight end I ever saw that big. Run that fast! He could have. He was a four-four guy, at six hundred. I six mean, foot four, two hundred and forty pounds. Man, I've never seen anything like that before in my life. Now, guys are more athletic now. You know those type of things. You got those big guys that can run like that now. But back then, he was an anomaly. I had never seen anything like that before. He was one of those guys that I called home about and say, "Hey, man, I just watched this tight end at 6'4", 240 pounds, outrun two safeties." And it was my uncle was like, That's not possible. I'm like, man, listen, I'm telling you. Then the first football game of that season we play against UNLV and we run a tight end reverse. And he scores. I remember that. Seventy something yard pass. I'm mean, about 70 some yard play. They did call it back for blocking the back or something like that, but he outran their entire defense and secondary sixty something yards for a touchdown. So I'm not the only person who got a chance to see that. <laughs> what what happened
1: to what happened to Dustin Fred? Do you have any idea?
3: I don't know I, I'm not gonna speculate on somebody else's issues in their lives or what happened when they like whatever but I know that he's a good friend of mine to this day I'm still proud of him as being my teammate and he's always gonna be my teammate but i know i i know what I saw as for his as talent i ain't never i still haven't seen anything like him yet there's two guys there's two guys that i i take that back I've seen a lot of great athletes but there's three guys that I look at. And say, man, these are some of the best athletes I've ever seen in my life. I don't know what God was doing when he made them, but he it was almost to perfection when it comes to athletic ability. Travis Cozart, Dustin Moore, and Leonard Little, I, they got out of the bed and they were great. I mean, that was insane. I've never seen anything like those guys ever. And I feel like I was a great athlete, but I i never seen anything like them before. And I'm still waiting to see something like them. That tells you a lot.
1: Well, Caleb and I fighting in the backyard is not going to be anything. That <laughs> fire you.
2: Well, Fred, we're talking star power and we're talking fighting. So I just want to know you got some inside information, probably. Who's the one player that fought Peyton Manning in practice? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody fought Peyton
3: Manning? Hey, man. <laughs>
2: That offensive line would have killed you, man. <laughs> Did anybody
3: get close to fighting Peyton? Did Peyton ever – because I know he got in people's faces a lot, didn't he? So, Hey, man, the offensive line would be the only people he would have probably got into it with. Ain't nobody on the defensive side of the ball going to touch Peyton. He, so. <laughs> well, we, he does go in his offensive
2: line. We saw him curse out Saturday when he was – Jeff Saturday when he was mic'd up
3: in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, he, he may have gotten into it with his offensive lineman, but ain't nobody him up or nothing like that. that. That was not going to happen whatsoever. <laughs> because the other offensive linemen would have stopped you. I mean, but, yeah, man, listen, when they they protected Peyton in the games, they protected him the same way (laughs) in practices. There was not going to be anybody to touch Peyton. You can't even get close, man. Hey, listen, that offensive line would have wore your tail out. And I'm not talking about just any offensive lineman. I'm talking about some of the best offensive linemen that ever come through Tennessee. Bubba Miller, Jeff Smith, Leslie Ratliff, Jason Layman, those guys, they weren't playing. They're some of the toughest guys I have ever seen.
1: Yeah, come on, Caleb. It's not like they had Jeremy Banks on their team.
3: Oh. Oh. Listen, we, we had fights when they were on campus too. I mean, and we gave them their battle. We gave them a run for their money. But I'm gonna tell you something. Was, them boys were bad, man. They were. <laughs> they were bad. They were mean as boy. They were mean. Jason Lehman still scares me to this day. And I ain't no scary person. It takes a lot to scare me. But that guy didn't even talk. Didn't <laughs> That's, those
1: are the worst ones, the ones
3: that do not <laughs> talk. He, didn't, he just looked at you. And the look he gave, like, hey, man, whoo, I hope I don't have to fight this big dude here, man.
1: Fred, you're incredible, my man. Uh, what Are you Are you at a golf event, or what are you doing there in the background?
3: I am um, making my way to Tennessee cider company. I'm going up there to check out the facilities man and go, you know, support our 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 one of our biggest supporters in with the celebrate 98 man. I had to come up and do that. I will be playing some golf tomorrow. By the way, if you got some good golf courses out there man, I, I I'll take I, I'll take an invite anytime you got one. <laughs> but um yeah, I can take I care of I want to you. come by take take nice and check out Knoxville and see my team.
1: Yeah, I can take care of you in golf in Chattanooga anytime. Come up Oh, I'd
3: love to come play. There's a few places I like to play down there.
1: Yeah, we're getting rid of our kids officially. So
3: <laughs> that's
1: uh like th- twelve days away, I think. So man, we've got a place to stay and everything for you. So uh, definitely man. Kind of a big hippie goofy town that doesn't and know a lot. Fred of-
2: can Fred can uh lose a fight to Bob
3: Barker on the golf course. <laughs> Now I might lose that fight.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he was actually a boxer in the Marines. Did you all know that? I had no idea. Bob Barker was a a boxer in the Marines, and they pitched that idea to him. And they were embarrassed to pitch the concept of fighting. And he was like, "I'm all for it." And the real Bob Barker. Not, oh not, wow! That's pretty cool. Love that. Oh idea. wow! I didn't Drew, know that. Drew Carey just ain't the same. And no. Price is right. I like Bob Barker. Who, What was the best show when you were sick at home and you could watch anything you wanted to because you weren't going to school that day?
3: Well, Dave... We couldn't just watch anything we wanted to. If you were gonna stay at home, you had to watch whatever my grandmother was watching. And she was watching God and Light and <laughs> uh, um um <laughs> whatever the stories that were on at the time. I can't remember the guy's name, but Victor Maitland. I, I that's remember his name. Uh, um All My Children, that's the other one. Yep. Yeah, that's that's what you were watching. You were watching some prices right too. Um you watch whatever she was watching. You weren't watching what you wanted to. You couldn't go in the room and watch T V. You're gonna sit here with Grandmama and watch it on the couch.
1: Mine was The Price is Right, and I still remember sitting at home sick one day, and uh, a guy kept going, uh, they go, what's your bid? And he goes, 420, Bob. And then the next time it comes around to me, he goes, 420, Bob. And he kept, betting, he kept hitting 420. I'm like, what does that mean? I'm like, my mom goes, just don't worry about it.
2: All right. well i have i'm gonna to have to stand in front of god one day and say that mine was maury and i laughed at the war stories when i would watch maury that, i was just falling over laughing good? at some of those horrible stories but i think like those was are thought, real people's lives and it's like i'm out here just laughing
1: <laughs> i always felt like maury couldn't wait for the next commercial break to get a cigarette he just looked like he needed a cigarette at all times fred Allstate, uh, Google Fred White Allstate, get taken care of. Tennessee Cider Company, use the promo code HAT, and you will get some free swag with great cider. I noticed they had some new flavors. They can ship it just about anywhere in the United States. So uh, guys, have a fantastic weekend. The next week we talk, we will have football. It's week zero, and it's not the same. But then the next one, We've got Tennessee football. So, Fred, can't tell you how much we appreciate you coming on. Uh Caleb Calhoun, have a fantastic weekend. Thanks again, Fred.
3: Fred no problem, guys. It's almost football time in Tennessee, baby. Let's go.
1: It feels like it, doesn't it? Something it happened does. like in the past 48 hours. Where I, I, I guess that's the temperature... right?
3: That's why I came. That's another reason why I came to Tennessee and get that. I just gotta get that feel. It, it smells yeah. like football. Let's go, yeah. baby.
1: I remember Bobby Bowden said, um we we interviewed him when he got the General Nealan Award, mm. and he he said he had retired. And he goes, he said, "Well, you know, I don't know what it's going to be like uh, in the fall because I usually have to go to the restroom a lot more." I'm like, "What do you have like some sort of bowel issues when you get close to football season?" And he goes, "No, nah, just i really got to pee a lot more." <laughs> Bobby Bowden, when it got close to football season, had to pee a lot more. We leave you with that. This has been a presentation of Off the Hook Sports.